Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. All right, we're back for another round of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and we welcome you to it. Wow, we've done nine of these now, Dave. I believe this is our ninth episode. Technically, we've done eight episodes. This will be the ninth episode. Okay, if you wanted to make that distinction right away off the top, In that's an hour, fine. you could say, we've done nine episodes. <laughs> You're jumping the gun, Bubba. All right, we're getting into our ninth episode then, but we welcome you aboard for it. Here, this is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks through Paul Bunyan Broadcasting, and we are pleased to be sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Now, Dave, I was just at the theater the other day to go see Dunkirk, which I'll talk about here in a moment, and I happened to notice, and I, I pointed this out to my buddy, hey, <laughs> Look at this. There's a cool placard that's sitting over there that has the Rick and Nick logo on it and has all of our episodes and everything, and that Bemidji Theater is a sponsor. So it's it's pretty real now, this sponsorship that we have with Bemidji Theater, and we are so grateful to be sponsored by them. They do such a great job with putting on a fantastic selection of movies right here in town. You can head on over there and also go online, cectheaters.com. If you want to see the, what the show times are, and uh, you can then head on over there, and it's a great place to go to catch a movie. And we're pleased to be sponsored by Bemidji Theaters here with the podcast. Don't forget five dollar Tuesdays ticket prices are five dollars for all the shows, and uh, go grab yourself a beverage, and you get free popcorn with it. So you want to check out the new movies, and you don't mind waiting a couple extra days past opening night. Go to $5 Tuesdays. That's right. Plus, they also have connected now with Big Deals, has yeah. uh, has the Bemidji Theater. And I took advantage of that. I got myself a couple of comp tickets to be able to use. Now, you do have to wait for about two weeks or so with some of the big movies that, that come out. Um, you have to wait about two weeks. Obviously, they need to, to make their box office numbers there in the opening two weeks to those movies. But then you can start using your comp passes to be able to go and see the movies then after that. So pretty great deal that's set up there with big deals to be able to get some movie passes to go to the Bemidji Theater. Yeah, it's, it's a great place. Missy and the crew do a fantastic job out there. You're going to watch some great movies in a very comfortable spot. Uh, I love the Bemidji Theaters. I just wish I got to go more often. One-year-olds sometimes hold you back from the theater, but I want to be there. I know you do. I know you do, especially with some of the movies that, that come along here every now and then, especially here over the summer. Yeah. There, there are so many good ones that come out, but priorities, Dave. Priorities. Well, before we get into our topic for the day, do you want to quick touch base on the summer thus far real quick and how things are going? Yeah, we can We can definitely do that. Uh, overall, you know, as far as the movies are concerned, ratings wise and as far as the the critics are concerned it's been a a pretty good summer i feel like i i think just from the buzz on some of the big movies that are out there it's it's been a good summer i mean wonder woman at the beginning of june kicked things off in a great way as far as great ratings and pulled in huge amounts of money and is is one of the top grossing movies of 2017 is now officially the number one summer movie of 2017 thus far it beat out guardians of the galaxy 2 uh, so it currently is now the queen of the summer. Certainly is, yeah. And it's it's actually number two overall as far as 2017 movies, be, uh, just, well, a bit far behind Beauty and the Beast, which was just raking in uh, big amounts of money there uh, back in the spring. So Wonder Woman started off the summer with a really big high. I, I think they're toward the end of May with the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie with Baywatch coming out there. There were a couple of movies that followed Guardians, and they kind of took things on a downslide as far as critical reception. Brought in some money, but critical reception was certainly not not great for either of those. But things critically have been really terrific here in the month of July, and I, I think we kind of thought this might happen, but um, Baby Driver was, was a, a really nice surprise sleeper hit that came in and obviously did really well as far as the critics were concerned. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming did oh, yeah. really tremendous and, and is continuing to do very well at the box office. Obviously, people are, are still okay with going to Spidey movies, even though this is the third time around that we've had a 
a new look for Spider-Man, but I believe at this point, 17 days in, they're at over $250 million that they have made. Uh, so they things have gone pretty well I think uh, for more, Spider-Man Homecoming. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's more inspired to do it rather than when they did the Andrew Garfield versions where they were, the first one, it was almost a retread of the first Tobey Maguire movie. Not exactly, but close enough that why do I want to go see a movie that just came out seven years ago? Right. You know, they didn't seem inspired. It seemed to be a movie uh, money grab. But the new Spidey, now tied into the Marvel comic universe, uh, it's got a little something more to say. That helps. It's uh, Yeah, I think there's a reason to do it, so there's probably a reason to go see it. It's actually the number four movie domestically of 2017 is Spider-Man Homecoming. Already, nice. and And critically did very well, too, so that, that helps. War for the Planet of the Apes has been very yeah. successful. That uh, that has closed off that, that trilogy of movies very effectively. One of the best trilogies of the past decade plus, really. Um, it, it's been sensational just how good the Planet of the Apes movies have been, both on a visual standpoint and in a storytelling standpoint. Those movies have, have done a really terrific job. And think about not just the summer box office, but the 2017 box office. You have Wonder Woman, like we mentioned, is the number one movie of the summer officially at this point. Uh, and she's coming back in November with That's the right. Justice League. What happens if Justice League does well? And let's say Wonder Woman and Justice League are the number one, number two movies of the year at the end. Let's just say. And Wonder Woman is a driving force behind both of them. What does that say about women heroes on the big screen in this day and age? That's opening doors. How that's about that? opening big doors. Not to yeah. mention Ray and the new Star Wars movie that's, that's also right. coming out about the same time. What if they go one, two, three? What does that tell you? Did you catch the new Justice League trailer that was unveiled at Comic-Con I this did. past weekend? I did. That was a super trailer is it what really that was. was. That was a, that thing was huge. Just how long it was and all the footage that they showed. They're they're building up, and it it looks like they have finally found the right temperament, Dave, as far as what they want to do with the tone of of the DC movies. I think based on that trailer, they've found the right blend between serious and adding the right touch of humor to it as well. It, it looks so. like it looks like they've got a formula. It looks like it anyway. I'm hoping so. I I want them to succeed, and so yes. far they've kind of. Eh, but Wonder Woman is showing maybe a change. Definitely. Well, one me one more thing before we jump into our topic for today is jumping back into our topic from the last show we did our last most recent episode about uh, the directors the last time since we did this there's been a revelation that's come out that's that right perhaps yes. you may have heard about you pointed this out to me the other day so there's been a controversy for i don't know 30 40 years now the original poltergeist movie came out in 1982 directed by toby hooper produced by steven spielberg and his crew the rumor has been that uh spielberg even though he was not the director of the movie still directed poltergeist it's interesting to note that about the same time that he was working on Poltergeist, he was directing E.T., and both sets, the house that both of those movies were set in, they were different houses, but they were essentially in the same neighborhood. So the E.T. house was literally three blocks away from the house in Poltergeist. You can look it up on Google Maps, and it's right there. So Spielberg did not direct Poltergeist, but a lot of people over the years have come forward and said, yeah, every scene I did, he pretty much directed it. So Spielberg has not come out and said anything. Toby Hooper has not come out and said anything. But there was a big interview given by the Leonetti family, and they're a very well-known uh, director of photography. There's John, and then there's Mark, I think his name. Anyway, they're, they're very well-known in Hollywood, except I can't remember this, their first name. John Leonetti, everyone knows him. And they worked on the movie. They were on every single shot of that movie, whoever directed it. And they essentially said, yeah, Toby was there. He had input. But he really did not direct that movie. If he did, he directed 5% of it. Spielberg did the rest. So a lot of folks are saying that might put the controversy to rest. And Spielberg, the reason why he did it. Yeah, that was the other question that I put forth then and that we were trying to, to posit theories for. There's There's been instances where people have maybe ghost directed a movie, maybe for different reasons. Uh, but in this case, uh, at the time, there was a looming director's strike. So if the Directors Guild had gone on strike, well, then whoever's directing the movie is no longer going to direct it. So if you have a capable director like Spielberg in a producer's role, then by the Guild rules, the producer could step in and direct the movie. And if you have an able-bodied producer like Spielberg, you know he knows how to direct it. Uh, and that was the idea. So I think Toby was there just to head off a problem so that if there was a strike, then just Toby would walk and things would go on as usual. But if you look at that movie, it's very Spielbergian. Uh, more so than just 
the fact that he produced it. I mean, he was very, very involved in the in, in the production of that movie, and maybe more so than a producer normally would. So, will the controversy officially be over? Not until Spielberg comes forward and says as much, but I think the verdict is out. Yes, and that was something of much interest to people who have been thinking about that for many a year, and certainly you've been thinking about this for many a year, I'm sure. And then this I don't know if of, I'd go that interest. far, but it's just one of those things. That's, something that's caught your interest yeah. though over time. With hmm, I wonder if there was maybe more to that than met the eye. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, we move forward into our topic today, and before we do, we do want to remind you that we are going to discuss spoilers, so we're not interested in. Building up, oh, to a point, I think we're going to talk about Dunkirk, which just came out, which we will leave spoiler-free, because it's too recent in theaters, and we're not going to talk too much about it. Plus, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't give spoilers, Um, but uh, our topic today, we're going to talk about combat and war in movies, and Dunkirk works well into that, so movies that are not called Dunkirk probably going to have a couple spoilers that's right yeah some of the ones that have been out for a little bit longer there will be some spoilers that will come with that with dunkirk though not the case we're not going to drop any spoilers in there since it is just coming off its opening weekend which did a very robust 50.5 million dollars at the box office and is with christopher nolan's track record his movies usually hold pretty well in subsequent weekends i know i'm going to be going back the response is fantastic it really has been critically There are many who have said this is the first Oscar contender that has been put forth in 2017. Like, this is the first movie that could very well be in the best picture running, which speaks volumes. And when you go to see the movie, you can really see why. Because it is, I'll say this, it is a a unique film experience when you go to it. And you really do have to see it on the biggest screen that you can. I mean... He um he had as as Nolan has done now with Interstellar and is now down done here with Dunkirk. He released it in select cinemas in 70 millimeter IMAX to open things up here with the movie to get the film going experience, film rather than digital, to have that experience be offered to fans to be able to really enjoy it as in the classic sense of film going and you know Nolan has done that Quentin Tarantino has has been doing that here in recent years um hearkening back to those times of getting to see film on screen and getting to appreciate the movie going experience in that way and it it's a movie that that hits your senses in so many ways i i think is really a great way to put it and and so too with the way that the movie is done there's there's minimal dialogue I'll say that off the start. There's very minimal dialogue. It's it is a, a a huge blend of sound. Sound is so paramount in this movie. The sounds of war and it, it strikes you very, um, very poignantly and it in a, in a way that really takes you into the setting of what is going on with the the desperate Operation Dynamo that that took place with within what happened at Dunkirk back in 1940. And it's also unique because there, it takes you into on land, what happened on land at the mole there at Dunkirk, and then on, on the waters as well with the uh, civilian navy, and then in the air as well with what happened with some of the, the pilots who, who took part in this particular mission. Time is, is an essential piece of the movie as well, and I keep that in mind as you go see the movie. Time is approached in a very unique way in the movie and that that needs to be kept in mind um i I say that loosely but i think it's worth saying because i I don't want to give away too much but at the same time i think that'll help you be prepared for when you go into the movie but there i'll also say this there are not distinct characters in the movie there will not be the backstory that you get in other movies in other war movies for that matter but i think it's very intentional that way because these people who you see in the movie, you don't get the backstory on them, but you're being dropped in on a very desperate time that they are going through, and they are very representative of the whole. Whether it's the individual young soldiers who are on the on the beach, or it's the, the civilian boat that's on the water, or it's the pilots that are in the air. They are representative of a much bigger group that, that was taking part in this, and even though you don't get the background on these people, who they are, what they do, they are representative of the bigger conflict and the bigger nations that were involved in 
this conflict. And it's it's such a unique war movie, but it it hits you in in such a way as far as the visual, as far as the sound, the emotional side of it, triumph, tragedy, um, all kind, uh, just an incredible blend of emotion that goes into I hear it. One of the other big things about it, Nolan is known for his run times, which tend to be a little on the long side. Interstellar, in particular, uh, I saw a good tweet on Facebook. Is probably the best way to put it. Uh, I was a friend of mine that said uh, a tweet that was placed on Facebook. Yeah, okay. It was. Uh, it was. Right. It was real quick. It said, "Hey, this movie was 105 minutes, and apparently that's how long I can hold my breath." <laughs> I mean, what does that tell yep. you? So maybe the fact that it is so compact in far as movies go, that's less than a two-hour movie, which is kind of a standard runtime. Which is funny because Christopher Nolan's a guy who's been known for these these epics, yeah. these epic movies that, that are I hear just, it still is an epic. It's just it a really short is. epic. That's right. And it, it's it comes at a time where people are like, are the movies getting too long these days? Because there, there are so many long movies that... You can't appreciate the long epic anymore because there's so many of them. Well, here, Nolan slims it down, and he slims it down in a way that he takes away all the fluff that might come with a movie like this. It is a war movie, bare bones, nothing else really to it. It's just you are plunged into the conflict right away. So let me ask you something on the larger, deeper scale here. So Dunkirk, I have yet to see it, so I really can't comment. It, I can't. I can't recommend it enough. I, I really cannot get out to the to the Bemidji theaters, or or if you're a little more local to an, another theater elsewhere, you know, get out there and see it. There there are a lot of showings at the Bemidji theater that have been going on. So definitely get out there and check it out because it is well worth going to see. It, it's just that good of a movie. It's the first. What I would call a full-blown war movie we've had in a while. We've had some movies with battles and skirmishes, but this is a straight-up hard war movie. And the the war story itself is somewhat of a tragic war story, despite the heroic, uh, the, the heroic nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this day and age where we are now a little bit on the war-weary side as Americans, we are officially not at war, but unofficially still at war. Afghanistan, Iraq, and maybe other things brewing up with North Korea and so forth. What is it about war movies when they come out now, if we're already a war-weary public, that makes it entertaining so that a war movie is worth putting out at a time that we are war-weary? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think, and I've seen some debate on Twitter regarding just some of the sentimentalism that people have shown for the the sense of heroic and bravery that would take place in, in wartime and, and people thinking that maybe we of today are, I don't know, maybe don't have the same kind of, maybe, yeah, desensitized or maybe don't have the kind of moral strength and courage that people of that time had. And then, you know, that's, that's launched all, you know, that'll in whatever corner of Twitter you look that, that launches all kinds of back and forth regarding that and how that's concerned. But I think the, the way that a movie like that, makes itself a part of the today or why people like going to it is because people like to see heroism take place. They, they, they can still appreciate heroism. And with, with some of the war movies of today, which we'll get into here, there is the, the debate and the, the question of, if, like, it's not cut and dry. You can appreciate the, the heroic acts. There's, there's some, with some of these war movies today, there is the element that that war is cruel and war is a, a, a horrific thing that that also gets blended into these movies. While you still see heroic acts take place, but then a lot of movies over the past 20, 30 years that are of the war topic, they may portray that, but they may also portray just what an awful thing war is. And, well, let me and put I, it- I think that's added to the that's added to people who are are very jaded about the way war appears and and just with knowing the war is an awful thing but there is also the appreciation of the heroic and the patriotism that comes with it as well some of the other parts that come to it if 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 the old saying war is hell and it's a hard thing to go through and when we're not at war you're kind of thinking about war but you don't want to be well i'm probably putting that the wrong way put it this way um, if war is such a horrible, horrible thing, then what is it about war movies when they're done well that make them entertaining enough to the point that we're willing to give Dunkirk a fifty million plus opening weekend at a time that we're war weary? There has to be a level of entertainment there, whether it's Dunkirk or any other movie in particular. You know, Saving Private Ryan that has got some points where it is a hard movie to watch. The first twenty, thirty minutes of that movie 
are more disturbing than any horror movie I've ever seen. There are many who say that the first 20, 30 minutes of of Saving Private Ryan, and and really that that movie on the whole, but especially the first 20, 30 minutes, that they changed war movies forever. Oh, yeah. With the way that that whole opening sequence took place and just how real that was, which speaks to how much war movies have changed over time, which we'll get into. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about what a war movie really is, it's got to tell an overall story. Now, whether that's uh, something smaller, like Saving Private Ryan, you've got the unit, uh, like Platoon, which uh, apparently is based on some real events when uh, Oliver Stone himself is an infantry soldier mm. in Vietnam. How ex- how exactly to real life it was, who knows? Yeah. But um, but you can break it down to a smaller element where it's not about the war as much as some of the people in the war. One of the better war movies I can remember was it's a Mel Gibson movie. We were soldiers. It was about the it was about 1965, the very first official battle fought in the Vietnam War, as far as the U.S. was concerned. Yep. Um, and really, it's not about the war. It's not about the battle as much as the people that were there to fought to fight the battle. The to- the title tells you we were soldiers. Yep. So if Mel Gibson was uh, the the general in charge of the battle on the ground, it was about him as very much a family man being drawn into something that is anything but, and trying to keep his unit together against all these odds which they ultimately did win in the Battle of Iadrang Valley. Um, but it's about the men that were there. So it's an interesting story from that dynamic and also about the women back home. They start getting telegrams about their men that are not going to be coming home. It tied it both together. It was a good story mm-hmm. rather than, say, a uh, Apocalypse Now, which is a little out there. Yeah. Um, Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, which is it's an interesting movie in dynamics, but it's, it's, it's a very different kind of war movie. So what is it about those war movies specific war movies it'll bring you in yeah it, i think it is the dramatic impact and the spectacle of it as well the spectacle of some of these these full-scale battles that take place in war movies that that was always something that that kind of fascinated me when i was younger it's it's kind of a sad thing now that that i'm older and just just seeing the way that for some of these things they they happen in real life but think about this so as we look at how war movies have changed you know that war movies used to be on kind of a spectacle front. And and keep in mind, when we talk about war movies, I think there is a distinction um, that, that can be made, especially when you look at war from different periods of, of history. There, like, when you think of a movie like Braveheart, you know, that that's going back centuries that, you know, that those events that are depicted in there took place. And the battles that take place in Braveheart, they are very much on a spectacle, a dramatic spectacle kind of way that they are portrayed and, and put into place. Or even if you... Even if you go back to something like, even for instance, Robin Hood, you know, the, the skirmishes that take place in there, or even the adventures of Robin Hood, you know, going back to the Errol Flynn movie, you know, that's that's a spectacle, you know, the sword fighting that takes place in the Great Hall there of that movie, that that's that's a spectacle kind of thing. When it comes to, to 20th century war depictions, or even going back to 19th century, if you want to factor the Civil War in, there are elements of spectacle but at the same time there's more that goes on than just that but that that has changed in some ways in the movies like take for instance i think the first really big war movie that came out was all quiet on the western front in 1930 which is which many have hailed as one of the great movies of all time there wasn't much dialogue that happened there but it it was an early depiction of the horror of war from the trenches in world war one it it portrayed that and keep in mind that's 1930 that that's going on. You don't have many movies that hmm. that would maybe cut to the core like that, but this one did, and it won a couple of Oscars for it. But but war in the movies, especially during war, World War II, whether it was at home or abroad, no matter what country it was, war in the movies was very much a propaganda kind of thing mm-hmm. with the way that it was portrayed. It was a rousing sense of national pride, and there were a lot of movies that got released around that on all sides. that idea on all sides yeah everybody was releasing films like that take for instance sergeant york here in, in the united states about about the the story of of the sergeant who was and sharpshooter and and all of his exploits and just some of his convictions uh behind why he did the things he did even even though he struggled with the idea of going to war um and that came out in 1941 that that was released 
very interesting sense of timing there on on a movie like that. But a lot of movies that came out there around that time or shortly after World War II that either pertained to World War II or World War I, but had a propaganda sense to them or a national pride sense to them. And that was everywhere, like you said. I think war movies, because not all war movies are created the same. I think there's, from what I can come up with, I think there's about three different categories of war movies. What, the first category is very historically accurate to essentially tell the story and break it down a bit as to what exactly it was. Torah, Torah, Torah comes to mind. Very historically accurate movie. And that movie was one that sort of, sort of started to represent a shift in the way war movies were presented, but we'll get there in a moment as yeah. we continue chronologically. So and it might take some dramatic license. It may condense characters down for the sake of dramatic license or to be more clear and concise. Um, but for the most part, very historically accurate. That's the first category. The second one is one that is absolutely fictitious, but takes place during an actual war. Uh, Inglorious Bastards come to mind. It is yes. not historically accurate in the slightest. You know, especially with the way it ends. Yes, especially with the way. It, well, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk spoilers. We said yeah. we would. Hitler was not gunned down in a movie theater. It didn't happen like that. And they that. did not blow up his cabinet. Yeah. as part of that didn't as well. happen. You right. know, but uh, other movies that can be a little more. Um, realistic. Pearl Harbor is not a realistic war movie in that it's accurate. Parts of it are, but it's it's not about the battle as much. It's about something completely different. It really different. played on the drama yeah. in that movie. It was yeah. the, the war was really the backdrop. It was, it was, you know, as much as Titanic was not about the sinking of the ship as much as it was a love triangle, you know. And then there are the, the third category, which is just completely fictitious. Absolutely fictitious. Right. And so it and so it depends on what you're talking about. Saving Private Ryan would be one of those second categories. Uh, it's not necessarily inaccurate to what happened in the war. I mean, the D-Day invasion on Normandy Beach is told very accurately, from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. But it's not about that. It's that's the opening twenty thirty minutes, and it's an impactful twenty thirty minutes. But the story itself is loosely based on something that happened back in Lincoln's time. And it also harkens back to Pearl Harbor, where there were multiple uh, sons from one family serving on one boat that was blown up at Pearl Harbor, and all but one of the sons were killed. So it took elements from other parts of history. There wasn't any one incident where the president or the secretary of war said, hey, you find this guy in the war and go get him. That never happened, but elements of it did. But then there's something like Gettysburg. Which, yeah. which is a little bit more, that, that movie, which is a very long movie, but it, it touches on the different elements of the battle and does so in a mostly pretty accurate way yeah. with, with, a, with a couple of other dramatic elements that are, that are added in, but at the same, especially with some of the backstories of some of the, the main generals involved with the battle. But even still, a lot of elements that, that are part of that, that you know they took place as they happened there with the battle. One of the things that I like about a war movie is not just a good story, but sometimes the, the history of what actually happened is story enough. Yes. Uh, Torah, 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 I mentioned real brief, uh, is a fantastic movie. It's one of my it favorites. It really is. Because it tells both sides. It was directed by an American and a Japanese director, and the Japanese side of the story, oftentimes when you're looking at a war movie, especially when the Americans make a war movie, we are the good guys no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, Is it possible to say that the Americans maybe antagonized the Japanese to the point where they were going to strike? Tor 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 talks about that. If we didn't cut off their oil supply, they probably wouldn't have struck. They felt like they're right or wrong. They felt like their back was against the wall and they needed to respond. Yeah. And this deals with that. It t- there really is no good guy or bad guy, according to that movie. It just shows what happened. And they did it to such a to such an effect that they had a Japanese production side to, yeah. to the movie and an American side of production to the movie. I mean, that's just how distinct they made it with the way that they made that movie. Yeah. Um, Essentially, they are and, two movies, separate movies spliced right. together. They took what what The Longest Day kind of did, and yeah. they, they took it to another extent, because The Longest Day focused on many elements of the D-Day invasion on the Allied side and on the on the German side as well, and, and looked at those, those respective sides. But it went to an even further extent with the way the movie was put together. Yeah. Brief time out. We want to remind you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters, and we are very happy to have them aboard as a sponsor. They even promote us inside the theater as well. 
It's fantastic. Yeah, love getting to see the the placards there with Rick and Nick Talk Flicks on it there at the Bemidji Theaters, which is an awesome place to go and catch a movie, which I did just this past weekend going there to go see Dunkirk. So getting back to the the progression of war movies a little bit, the war movie as a, a spectacle really... I think took off in a, in a new sense by the 1950s and 60s because you have a movie that comes along like the Bri- the Bridge on the River Kwai, which was very much a spectacle kind of movie. Lawrence of Arabia, which is set against the backdrop of war, another spectacle kind of movie. Um, the Great Escape was another one that kind of did the same thing, and yet that had a a sad element to it. With yeah. you know, it was based on a true story of of several POWs who were were killed um, with this escape that, that was attempted to take place, one of the largest mass escapes um, as far as POWs in, in history. But many were captured and killed uh, with, this, with this attempted escape. And yet there is still the dramatic element that comes with it too. Steve McQueen trying to jump over the barbed wire. You know, the, just things like that that get added in. So the war as spectacle really took center stage in the 50s and 60s. Like you said, Tora Tora Tori was was very uh, was a, a new kind of war movie with the way that it approached both sides and did that. But but as far as exploring bigger themes of war, that came along in the the seventies and eighties. You know, especially post Vietnam, I think a lot changed as far as the way people viewed war and viewed war in the movies with the way they presented it. But even before that, think about a movie like Paths of Glory. Have you seen Paths of Glory? I've not seen that one. That's that's early Kubrick, like late fifties Kubrick, and that one has uh, that one stars um, Kirk uh, Kirk Douglas in it, and it's it it's about um, a court martial involving a, a charge in, during World War One, um, where a general refuses to commit his troops, or he he, re, he does not want to send them into what he knows is going to be a doomed mission, and. The, then there are several men tried for cowardice or along those lines that are tried for cowardice um, within the movie and just exploring the some of the the decisions that are made in war and the the folly of some of those decisions or some of those charges that that get put forth in war and that was an early war movie that sort of changed things a little bit as far as we're going to get into some uh, into some deeper thinking about war and and the why sometimes that comes with it, even from within the conflict, the why of some of the decisions that happen. So you're, you're talking about how up until a point, a lot of the John Wayne war movies were all about a bunch of heroes going to go do stuff. A lot of war movies in that time since the 70s and 80s have really evolved to encompass deeper themes and deeper, richer meanings. Um, you know, look at Platoon, for example. Platoon is almost a microcosm of the American culture during Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's about a unit that's out in the bush that literally gets split into half. You have one side that's thinking one way, you got the other side that's thinking another, and it's almost a war uh, between one side of the group and the other side of the group in the middle of a war, Yeah, very much like our way of thinking, pro-war, anti-war. Um, and also some of the gritty realisms about things as well. Yes. Saving Private Ryan... To the point where, I mean, we keep going back to that because it's well, become the, gr- the war Well, the movie. grittiness had already been changing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Apocalypse Now really changed the game as far as the way war movies were approached and some of the gritty realisms that came with it, both on a mental side and in a visual sense, too. But mental side, definitely, with, with Apocalypse Now, which is, ba- which is basically Heart of Darkness within Vietnam. But, you know, even just the visual, almost a visceral reaction of things, they would hire uh, disabled actors that had had severed legs for one reason or another, and they would equip them with a false leg that would get blown off in the course of the movie. So you would actually see somebody lose a body part. Yes. You know, and that's, even though it was completely a prosthetic event, the way that it happened, it is about as, from what I understand, is about as realistic as it would look as if you were out there. That is a lot of what I've heard about Hacksaw Ridge as well, which many people have said it, it's like, whoa, in a visual sense. It's just, I mean, it, it, as far as life and limb that just are getting blown to smithereens before your eyes, Hacksaw Ridge takes that to another extent, you know, just, and, and, and is sort of representative of how that scale has just been gone down here over, over the recent years of, of, of war movies and how that's been changing over time. But yeah, gritty realism, both in, in terms of the conflicts and, and asking questions about the conflict and also gritty realism as far as the visual that you're seeing. A lot of that has changed here in the last 
40, 30 years. That, that is, and Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, certainly uh, with some of the mental things as well as some of the visual things that, that get touched on there in the movie. It, it's changed quite a bit. I think there's a lot you could say. If you're standing outside the theater when one show enter, exits and you're about to go in and you're watching them respond as they walk out. I mean, it's not like you're coming out of a Spider-Man movie where, oh, that was awesome. And I love the part where the sometimes you come out of a really, really gritty movie and people are walking out somber, like they're leaving awake. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember going into see Schindler's List and people are coming oh, out yeah. almost openly weeping. It, it That is a hard movie. It really, really is. And it's absolutely a war movie. Absolutely. Uh, a different kind of war movie. But the way it was presented in such a way that it, your sentimentality, there was no way it wasn't going to be pulled into this. There's, there are questions that come, that come with that. Have we gotten too realistic with, to what extent is realism good with the movies today? But that's where we come back to the idea that, that I kind of had from the start with this where, and I was talking to, to you about this before we, we went on with the pod, is that war movies today, you, you've got a cornucopia of of what kind of war movies yeah. you can see today as compared to maybe back in the 30s, 40s, 50s where you knew what you were getting. It's maybe going to be some kind of patriotic type of movie or something that's going to be sentimental kind of thing or maybe a, a grand epic kind of thing. Today, you can get a wide variety. You can get a Tropic Thunder kind of thing, which is more of a, a comedy type of movie related would, to war, or an Inglorious Bastards. Kind I would of movie. link uh, Tropic of Thunder as like I would with Star Wars into a war movie. It's a it's a war movie. Well, uh, you, you still you still depict <laughs> you can still depict war yeah. quote unquote war in a very loose way, and that's that's kind of what I was saying is that you can you can drop into so many different categories now of what kind of war movie you see. And yet we do get such a there is such a realism and and such and the reality of war is more on display now than ever in in terms of the movies that we see and it's it's pretty brutal you know you go to an to a movie like American Sniper and and you certainly see that especially with some of the the effects that come from from being in conflict in the way that goes or the Hurt Locker or or something like Saving Private Ryan it's those realities are are on display now more than ever and it's it is gritty it is dark and sometimes it makes you wonder you know is this is this good that it's this realistic Uh, you know that should it be presented this way or have we maybe gone too far with how it gets presented there's there's a debate about the movie zero dark 30 which is about the hunt and eventual killing of osama bin laden and the september 11th attacks um, apparently, and this is from what I understand, they were working on a completely different movie because at the time the movie was starting to go forward, we didn't find him at that point. They were basically going to do a movie about the Tora Bora, which was shortly after the war began and Osama bin Laden and his lieutenants escaped the Tora Bora mountains. And essentially that was going to be with the movie they did. And they were just getting ready to shoot when all of a sudden the news broke that they'd found him and got him. Right. So now the movie got put on hold. All the research they had done still was valid. And then they changed the story because now the story had changed, you know. And so that's what Zero Dark Thirty was about. But they also depict a lot of things and how influential was torture and was yes. torture, of, yeah. was, it, was, it, was it beneficial? And there's a big debate as to whether or not they allude to the fact that maybe it was more beneficial than people would prefer us to know. Or then there's also the you know the, the claim that they'll just say whatever they need to say in order to do it. How did we get to that point? And maybe should something like that be shown? And right. will it whether it whether influences you that maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing? It might influence you either way, depending on what your preconceived notions are. Yes, yeah, certainly. And and with the way movies are are uh, the realism of movies today has just skyrocketed. You know, with the way that things like that get presented. So I think. What it comes down to is the way that a person approaches going to the movie. Because think about it, you somebody who who goes, there are people who go and enjoy action movies for the blood and the guts and and for the the conflict and war that takes place within them. But I think the way you approach going to a movie like Predator in in the in the movies when you go to something like that, which is which is full of army people trying to take down an alien. You've got to approach that a different way than going to something like a Saving Private Ryan or a Hacksaw Ridge where 
But I think sometimes people don't make a distinction. They go and they say, oh, wow, that, uh, you know, look at all the, the war and the blood and the guts that come with that, too. And there are people who enjoy going and want more of that action. There were people who, when Dunkirk was PG-13, that uh, that 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 was going to be the rating. There were people who were like, it's not an R movie? That's not hardcore. That's not hardcore enough. They're not presenting it hardcore enough in that way. And yet when you go, it's a hardcore senses kind of experience that you're going through with being in that. Even if it's visually, there's not the kind of blood and guts that you see with with these other movies. You're still being hit emotionally and, and senses-wise just in different ways. But I think there needs to be that distinction when people go to the movies these days, for, for starters. Because there are some who go seeking out an action kind of conflict movie and maybe don't take into account the themes. But then on the flip side... There are those who go and they, you know, they take the war as hell approach when they go to it, and they, um, and then some of these movies they they leave decrying war that much more. When in fact, sometimes it's worth exploring why has this conflict taken place as awful as it is that it takes place. Why has it taken place? And maybe not to discredit those who were involved with the conflict, but rather to think about the implications of why the conflict happened or or who was involved with it rather than just taking away oh war is awful and the people involved in it are awful well there are a lot there's a lot more that goes on to it these days but i think sometimes people lose sight of that well and people can go into a movie educated or not educated and maybe the movie will educate them i remember when valkyrie came out maybe about 10 years ago I remember this was about the time that Tom Cruise was jumping up and down on Oprah's couch and he was starting to lose some credibility. Yeah. And then he comes out in a movie as a Nazi, which he was Mm -hmm. in the movie, but not really. He was a Nazi because at that point you didn't really have a choice in a lot of cases. You were either going to be a Nazi or you were going to get pushed out of Germany and you were going to suffer a worse fate than if you did. But it was about people that were very much involved in Hitler's Germany that realized bad things are happening here. And if we lose this war, no, we're all going to be lumped in with a lot of us with Hitler. And we're not all like him. And it was the true story, a very true story, about how the Germans themselves tried to take Hitler out so that they could negotiate their own terms and say, look, we're not a nutcase like this guy. You know, yeah, the, the plot failed. But it's and it did take a couple of liberties, but it's fairly historically accurate. But then again, you got a lot of actors walking around in Nazi uniforms. That's a hard sell. Yeah, you know, there's even a Star Trek episode where they're in their Nazi uniforms. At a if you if you're familiar, without getting too into it, um, they go to a society and yeah, in planet. the original series, yeah, in the original series where the the pattern of this universe is patterned after Nazi Germany, and so they infiltrated in Nazi uniforms. So here's Spock wearing an SS jersey. They don't show that on TV anymore because you're not looking at the context of it because it's such a guttural response of what the Nazis were in real life that there is no way around it. Yeah. You know, so it's a tough one to sell sometimes. But if you're if you look past that and you look at what's actually the message here, then you can get past it. But if you have preconceived notions. Yeah. I think it's important to approach war movies with a nuanced view. These days, I think it it is really good to come in with a nuanced view, even if you are somebody who is maybe a bit more pacifist leaning. There are things to learn. If even if you are a person who um, is very, I don't know, you you support the military, but maybe it's it's too. Sometimes people support the military to a fault, to where they don't see some of the other things that you know some of the complexities that come with war and come with the military. I think it 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 demands having a a larger sense of thinking, you know, obviously you want to be, you want to have a sense of patriotism and you want to have a sense of, you know, uh, you know, I support my nation, but to an extent too, to where it doesn't blind you to some of the realities that come and the, the tough realities that come with war and with conflict and with the things that come with it. You know, a, a lot of movies I think do that today to the point where it does. I, I think sometimes with the way these war movies have changed, it has made people very jaded toward the military and and that's that's unfortunate that that's happened because there are there are men and women serving across the world who are are putting a great sacrifice on the line um but at the same time there is there is a lot of nuance to to some of the why of of why these conflicts take place that these movies present which is which is good to have but well, taking a nuanced view is very important looking at the tail end of Vietnam and I, we're kind of tailing away from the movies here but this is kind of the summary of where this goes to 
after Vietnam, a lot of soldiers would come back and they were spit on and they were yelled at and this and that because yeah. a lot of people confuse the soldiers with the war. They are not the same. If you're a soldier and your country goes to war, they tell you, you go. You don't have a choice. War ultimately is a failure of diplomacy, and too often, not just in our own country's history, but in other countries' history, war is way too high on the stack of options than it should be. It should be at the bottom of the pile. It's the last step you take, and too often, people will jump into it right away. It's not the soldiers that do it. They're there to defend the country should and when they be called on, Yeah. and I will always, always support the soldiers, whether I support a war or not. I will always support the soldiers because they don't have a say. And my family, yeah. very, very strongly versed in, in military background. Going back, in M- fact, to the Civil War, Mine too. both sides of yeah. the war. I've I've got part of that in my family, too. You know, I had a, I had a great-grandfather who served and died in World War II. So I, I know that, you know, even when I watch Saving Private Ryan, I, I think about my great-grandfather yeah. and, and the the service and sacrifice. You know, I, I think of others in my family who have served, and it's, you know— it. It's a a grim reminder and a sad reminder, but it's also it you know it makes me proud that they were still willing to to go and to pay the sacrifice because in, in the name of of freedom and watching out for others, even if the conflict involved was was far from ideal, and even if the cost was high. Here's a really good way yeah. to sum it up: Who's going to dispute that Clint Eastwood isn't a fantastic American? Well, he had done those two movies about Iwo Jima that took place on both sides. He did Flags of Our Fathers and The Sands of Iwo Jima, which is yeah. pretty much the same movie from the opposite side, kind of like Tora, 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 except not spliced together. Right. And the second movie is very much about the Japanese perspective. There was some debate that, you know, this guy isn't truly American. This is the guy that had just put out Flags of Our Fathers, you know, just that same year. I think they came out in the same year, I believe. Um, but he was willing to take a look at both sides. You know, nobody goes into anything thinking that they're wrong. And that's what more, that's what we're kind of saying here is that war movies today, you're getting such a wide base of what kind of movies you're getting that you can see many different angles and alternatives to things that help you consider all the different points of why conflict happens and, and some of the, the sacrifices and, things that come with it as well. So you you get all of that that comes with it too. Plus sometimes it can be representative of larger themes that go beyond just war and conflict. You know, I think you can definitely take that away from Dunkirk when you go to it. When you watch Dunkirk, you think that maybe it's there's there's a sense of nationalism that might come with it. There is a sense of thinking about the larger greater good and even the larger sense of cooperation that comes when you watch that. Keep that in mind as you watch the English French interaction in Dunkirk when you go see that because there's that theme that kind of comes with it too that that you take away in the end war movies today there's there's a gritty realism to them and there's a there's a they they have changed very much as movies have changed some for the good as far as what what you get is is sometimes how you see it in real life sometimes for the bad because well you're getting more of the the same gritty realism that that real life can be sometimes and sometimes that's a lot for people or it makes people jaded or with a hard edge. But if you go into it with the right nuanced approach, I think there's a lot for people of, of all walks of life to take away from war films today based on the way that they, that you approach watching it and what kind of takeaways you, you ultimately get out of it. You know, everyone goes to the movie theater to be entertained without exception to whatever degree of entertainment you're talking about. But I don't think anybody goes to see a war movie going, all right, the way they're going to go see Spider-Man or the new Star Wars. I can't wait, yeah. But you are, if, you, if you're smart anyway, you're going to go into a war movie knowing you're going to take something out of it. Yeah. It's, either, it's going to affect you in some way, shape, or form. And maybe there's a really cool moment with the planes coming in with the machine guns. And then there's that time, how about in Shaving Private Ryan, everything's black and white except that one girl. Just to point out how she was just one of the masses, and then later you see that mass grave with that red coat there. Oh, you're talking about that's um, yes, Schindler's, yes. Schindler's List. Schindler's List. I said it's in Private yeah, Ryan. You're right. Schindler's List. List. You're yeah. right. You're right. Um, and that, that makes an impact. You're going to take something mm-hmm. away from that, whether it's a horrific 20-minute opening of Saving Private Ryan to uh, a very – there's one act in that movie that just absolutely grabs me every time. Um, near the end of the movie, they're having the big battle, and the two guys are fighting over the knife, and one guy very slowly and oh. deliberately. That's one that just, if there's ever one moment I can point out that's a horror of war, that's it. And the cowardice that came from the, yeah. the translator who 
who didn't do anything. Yeah, then, he could have and then, didn't. Yeah. And then at the very end, finally, he decides to stand up when he's yeah. got the odds with him. There's a lot that you're going to take from that. So war movies, it is uh, probably the most wide-ranging as to what you're going to get as any genre of film I can think of, even more so than comedies. Especially in modern film today. There's there's a lot to take away from it. But a lot. if you if you approach it with, a, like we're saying, with a nuanced viewpoint or with, a, you know, with taking these things into consideration – there's a lot to gain, both with with seeing the way that the conflict happens, and also what do we take away from it. You know, yeah. war war is an awful thing, but war is very much a reality of of our uh, of our very walk of life. So there's a lot to be gained. But anyway, hey, Dunkirk, I think, Dunkirk I th- is definitely worth experience the experiencing though for taking in some of those things and and also taking in what this particular conflict was like. Yeah, and I think if you go see Dunkirk at the Bemidji Theater, you, you're going to see Rick and Nick because they're at that placard that you saw That's advertising right. their show yep. that they've yet to do, but they're signing autographs for our work. <laughs> we should be out there signing autographs at the placard. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, hopefully down the line. Yes, hopefully we'll be able to. But yeah, next time around when we talk, it's going to be August, and, and we'll start to get into some, some very interesting movies that are coming around in August that are getting into theaters. Dark Tower comes to mind that's coming along here a little bit further down the line. Buzz, I think, is already starting for Detroit, which is going to be in theaters here yeah. uh, in early August. That's that's going to be very interesting one that's that's coming out. But And Comic-Con um, this last week has oh, really yeah. got things buzzing up now, whether it's for uh, Justice League or Star Wars. Star Wars was kind of quiet at Comic-Con this year, funny enough. Well, Comic-Con is just getting going, though, isn't it? There's going to be a couple more days to it here. I think maybe I, I think that they were they're not going to do much of the young Han Solo movie, but the Last Jedi getting closer to fall now. I think when we get to September, yes. they're going to start ramping things up a little bit. I would not be surprised if there's another trailer here in the near future, I like hope a, so. a more extended trailer for for Star Wars. Because think about it, we've got the summer movies, end of year movies as far as blockbuster stuff gets big. November December has really ramped up now as far as the movie calendar. So you get the blockbuster stuff, but then Oscar-winning type movies are going to be starting to come around as well, and they'll start to get some buzz. The Oscar conversation is already on, though, with Dunkirk, and in a, in a pretty big way, and honestly, deservedly so, because that's just how good and how unique it is. Hopefully by the next time we sit down, I will have seen Dunkirk. Not that we're yes. talking war movies the next episode, but not that we'll be here the next episode either, because you never know, Rick and Nick might feel like they yeah, should show up to their podcast. Maybe. Maybe. It's been... <laughs> we are just about to complete we nine We have now episodes. done nine full episodes. Yes, and they're still not around. They haven't even said a peep here on this show, so... I don't know, but I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next time on some topic that we still need to come up with in the uh, Rick and Nick Brain Trust, but we're looking forward to chatting it up with you. We will see you at the movies.